so yeah, thanks for joining us in this uh, after lunch hot room uh, to learn about deep fakes. Um, Uh, so now you've heard about the problem, I'm here to talk about one of the major solutions that's being proposed. The idea that Georgia already discussed about controlled capture. So the idea that if you can't detect deep fakes automatically en masse, then why not verify the moment that they were captured? And it's not just about cryptographically signing them, it's also tracking the time that they were taken, the date and the location. And right now there are a bunch of apps and standalone apps that already do this. So you can do things like Check the person that you're dating is who you think you're dating. Show insurance companies that your bike claim is real. And avoid being misled about the shoes you're buying online. Or, as Sam mentioned, if you're a citizen journalist or open source investigator, it can help verifying the content that you might be risking your safety to take. And this is where I come in. I've been using tools like this for years and training others on using it. And I started a year-long fellowship, uh, research fellowship last year at Witness to look at imagining what would happen if these uh, verified at capture technologies went mainstream. So imagine that these problems, that these solutions uh, did reach the mainstream, that they're ingrained within your phones, that they're ingrained within the social media platforms you use. So imagine that whenever you take a photo or a video or an audio recording, automatically is collected the time, location, device information, and about 20 other pieces of data. What does that mean for people that might have privacy concerns? Where does that data live? Who owns this data? And also, who is deciding what algorithms are using to decide what can be trusted or not? And can we view those algorithms that are normally proprietary? And then imagine you're a small, decentralized social media platform, like the ones that our colleagues are discussing in the next room. Are they able to have this technology? And small news agencies, are they also able to live up to the regulatory changes that this would bring? And then imagine that you're using an older device. You're using a phone that might not work with this technology and have limited internet connectivity. And you're not able to produce the kind of proof that society now demands. It has the potential to change the way that we communicate. Who can be trusted? And then who gets to decide this? But before I give away the ending of this talk, I want to give you a very brief and incomplete history of detecting uh, authenticity. So who woke up today and found that they had a spam email in their email inbox? Their main email inbox. Okay. So I say like 20 people, but lots of people are fanning themselves, so it's hard to say. So let's say 20 people. And then does anyone know uh, what percentage of the world's emails are spam? You can just shout out the percentage. 80 or 90? 99? Okay, I didn't think you'd go so high. It is 80%. <laughs> so if 80% of the world's emails are spam, but only 20 of you out of 500 put up your hand, then how is that possible? Well, of course, it's because of spam filtering. Spam filtering works by uh, seeing who sent it, uh, whether you've subscribed to them, if you've trusted them. And spam uh, got its name from this Monty Python sketch I'm about to show you. 
where people say spam over and over again, louder and louder, effectively drowning out all other conversation. What do you mean? I don't like spam! And I'm glad this sounds not so loud, because it's quite annoying when you hear it very loud. Uh, so spam was a real problem, and people thought that it would be the end of email. Uh, but then, um, and interestingly, the people making the spam filters used the phrase, don't panic, which is the same phrase that Sam's been using. And now, in 2019, as we see, spam's under control. And that's because of technology. It's because of uh, also education around not clicking on those phishing emails that you're getting. And it's also um, because of human judgment. But there are also real implications about using uh, about spam filtering that I myself experience as having a very niche email address. And I get locked in spam filters all the time. And that's because large email providers normally dominate this scene. So 2016, we jump ahead. Fake news detection apps struggle. So these detection apps were looking at uh, adding green check marks, blue ticks, red crosses, false, true, on the media that you were looking at. And these are a lot of the similar techniques that these control capture apps I'm talking about are looking at using. And these apps often use uh, system one thinking. And system one thinking relies on making quick, unconscious decisions, rather than system two thinking, which is more controlled, requiring closer scrutiny, these kind of decision making. Uh, and these, these apps struggle. There was a, a survey done on uh, 45 of the main apps, and they found that when people saw had received general warnings, uh, they were less likely to believe true content. This is known as tainted truth or the spillover effect. So when you just see these warnings, as Sam mentioned, you, your mindset is in a more disbelieving mindset. 2017, Pokemon Go bans cheaters. So Pokemon Go uh, is probably the world's biggest game app on your phone. Uh, it's a way to catch these Pokemon, battle them, train them. Uh, but they had a problem. It relies on GPS uh, in order to find the Pokemon. And they found that people were installing GPS spoofers on their phone. So I would be able to trick and then get more Pokemon. So in order to combat this, the creators of Pokemon Go made it that the uh, app would no longer work on jailbroken phones. A jailbroken phone is one where you've literally broken your operating system out of its jail. And that's what you need to w for GPS spoofers to work. But the problem was that lots of people use jailbroken or rooted devices for lots of legitimate reasons, uh, evading um, censorship that might be happening in their country, for uh, technical reasons or personal reasons. And these people were branded as cheaters. 2017, Twitter's verification program is paused. So I found this tweet. But I'm really sorry to say that he's not here in the audience. Um, so Twitter accounts have been easy to fake. Uh, I made this on an app, but I, what, it's very easy to just add a photo of him, write Keanu Reeves 2, uh, and make a Keanu Reeves Twitter account. So in order to combat this, Twitter in 2009 started doing its verification program. So you'd add these blue ticks, um, which soon became a status symbol because they were only open to the celebrities or political figures. Uh, in 2016, they opened up this program 
to anyone who wanted to apply. But it was really, really uh, intransparent with how Twitter made its decisions. Who decided who got a tick and who didn't? What was the criteria they were using? No one knew. So in 2017, Twitter verified uh, the white nationalist um, Jason Kessler, who organized the Charlottesville protest that resulted in the death of Heather Heyer. And then a few days later, they paused their program. They said it hadn't worked for a long time. The issue with the Twitter tick is that it was seen as an endorsement rather than just verification. 2020, trust is replaced by blockchain technology. Now, it's not 2020 and I can't see into the future, but uh, this is a joke because it can't be, it's not so simple. But this is a narrative that we're often being sold. So since starting this research last year, there's been a noticeable shift in how people are talking about this solution. Social media companies are starting to have more pressure to um, implement something like this into their systems. Uh, governments and companies are starting to talk about it as a real solution. And social media companies are now funding companies in order to build this technology. Uh, so uh, I'm a big fan of making mashups in my free time, like montages of reality TV shows. Um, and I wanted to make you uh, a montage, it's less interesting than my normal ones, of uh, the US congressional hearing. So this is the US congressional hearing uh, around the national security threats of deep fakes. And I made a mashup of every time they mentioned this technology. So you can understand what people, the experts that they brought in are talking about and also what they're interested in. Third, the US government should partner with private sector to implement digital ver verification signatures designating the date, time, and physical or origination of content. One of my other recommendations was digital verification, uh, which there's, these folks will know better because they're more technically sound than I am on this, but digital verification for date, time, and location of actual content to include real-time content. There's already some blockchain registry solutions that are being developed. But the truth of the matter is that signature for that particular uh, piece of video, that piece of audio, uh, is there. And so there are tools that the, um, that the, the social media companies could use uh, to link those together and make a decision and then share it with everyone. And so anytime you put a video up or a picture up, there's a green check mark. So even though this doesn't properly represent what they were talking about, what no one is mentioning is the complexities that come with this kind of technology and this solution. And I understand that people want to have a kind of quick fix, but this quick fix could be ingrained within the way we all communicate. And as this conference is all about complexities, I want to talk about some of the complexities with this. So it might encourage disbelief rather than engender trust. It might not work for everyone. It has the potential to create additional surveillance infrastructure, and it could be hacked and exploited. So as Sam mentioned, um, a big issue with this is uh, recycled or miscontextualized images. And adding verified or uh, capture or control capture to images uh, doesn't really help by, with this, because the ticks or the green like checks that this is a good uh, image or video uh, will only add um, will only add to authenticate this image, rather than giving people the kind of scrutiny, enabling people to scrutinize it in the way that it deserves. 
Uh, as soon as anyone hacks or learns how to break this system, it will automatically become less trusted. And what does it mean for people that can't generate this signature or don't want to? And lastly, where is this precious data, just to remind you, date, time, location, of any image and video you take, where is this precious data being stored? Who has access to it? Who's being able to mine it? And also, who's able to apply for court orders? And what happens if that gets leaked, hacked, or breached? So moving forward, we can't rely on companies and governments uh, to dictate to us what we can trust. As we saw in the Twitter verification uh, model and also spam filtering, we have to understand how decisions are made. Uh, what's the algorithms at play? Um, what, how it can be appealed? Uh, which is difficult when companies have corporate interests and in proprietary um, decision-making processes. And media forensics itself is a new field. Uh, it's only 20 years old. And I think it's so interesting that we're all here talking about it when it's such a new field. And that means that there's not many people who are working in it. The career pathways are very focused on law enforcement. Uh, so either you have to be in law enforcement to get the training in this, or that's the direction that you're going to go in. So for civil society and journalists, my worry is that we're not going to be able to have the skills. Um, we're going to have a, a skill deficit in this area. Uh, so moving forward, as Giorgio has mentioned, human judgment and media literacy is essential. We have to be able to understand and appeal decisions, and we have to be able to control how our data is being treated. So ideally, verified at capture technology will be developed in a way that it will be seen as a signal rather than the signal, that people are able to opt out without prejudice, and that people will have the option to customize what kind of settings and what they want to record. And lastly, I think importantly, we have to ask ourselves, is this a system that solves the problem of distrust or a system that just shifts the problem around? What happens if deep fakes don't take over and we've just created this surveillance infrastructure just in case? So, I th yeah, locking people into centralized social media platforms and adding to disbelief rather than helping people trust what they are seeing. Thank you.